Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship more accessible by sharing down-to-earth horse training advice, practical tips, and examples from our own experiences as up-and-coming trainers. If you'd like your horsemanship questions answered on the podcast, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Horses. Thank you very much for listening. For joining us on the Project Horse Podcast. This is a special episode covering the subject of checking a horse back on the ground. Now, this is a training concept that, Luke, I know you and I have discussed a lot. We wanted to cover it on the podcast and really do it justice, provide full context on how we do this, what stages we go through, what benefits we see versus some of the other methods out there that we don't agree with and that we think that there's problems with and just give our full take on this and do it in a in a complete way not leave people hanging so we're going to forsake the format of the regular podcasts so that we can cover this subject in more of its entirety and right. really do it justice yeah and there's you know we say checking back there's a bunch of terms for it there's bidding a horse up there's um there's checking up there's checking around checking down um there's all kinds of different terminology for this we just you know, refer to it as checking a horse back. Yeah. Um, and, and what it refers to is tying the reins usually to the saddle in right. some fashion in which you're, you're essentially shaping the horse's head in a particular way, you know, usually uh, as a preparatory step on the ground to just better enhance your vertical collection. Then later on as a supplement to your training to enhance physical softness and mental softness as well in a horse, sometimes as a corrective measure or a reprimand. And, the reason why we wanted to give this a full take and and really give it the attention it deserves is because it's a little bit of a controversial topic to cover. Right. A lot of trainers do this or do some form of this, and we'll talk about what methods we think are the most viable and practical versus what we think aren't aren't so effective or even can cause problems. Well, um, I think this topic especially, you've got one person that says, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll bit my horses up, and they mean one thing. And then you've got someone else that, well, I, you know, I, I check my horses back too. Yeah. And they mean a totally different way of doing it. And you've got somebody else's, oh, no, I would never do that. You know, and that's yeah. just, you know, yeah. the, the kind of the public PR statement. You know? Yeah. Well, the, the entire concept, uh, and this is why we want to devote a lot of context. So we're going to talk about some of our thoughts here initially and then get into the nitty gritty of how we actually do this, the practical steps of this entire group of exercises, you yeah. could call it. But what um, would you say that like the essence of checking horse back is like if you had to distill it down to its its most basic definition like if you have what to if you really have to boil it down all it is is just a way to school the horse with the bridle on the ground in a productive way it's effective because you're setting up a situation where the horse is you put him in a little bit of a bind to where he's kind of pulling on himself and he's he's figuring out himself a way to find a release and find his way out of that bind instead of you being up there jerking or sawing on his mouth. And it can be something that's very productive, but there's a lot of misconceptions both about this concept in general. And also there's a lot of ways in which people do this, a lot of ways that they apply these ideas that we don't think are so productive or, or very positive. 
So before we talk about the way that we learn to do it and how we subsequently approach it, we want to discuss other more uh, mainstream methods out there, ways of doing this that we've been exposed to, and why our conception of checking a horse back or, you know, as it might be called, checking up or bidding up is different in many ways. Now, the reason why we want to talk about what we consider to be the wrong ways of doing this. First, it's because it's a subject that's gotten a bad rap just because of the misuse and the misapplication of the whole concept and the, in our opinion, stupid ways that some trainers apply it. In fact, there's rules against this sort of thing in some show associations, or there's at least a stigma attached that's negative because of the history of misuse and downright abuse of this exercise. And honestly, there's very few trainers who are willing to talk about this openly because of these reasons. It's kind of a very hush-hush thing that's sort of a trade secret in the industry. Yes, yes. Most trainers at higher levels or who are just worth their salt, they do this, but they don't really discuss it. They almost never talk about it publicly. They rarely show their clients because of the stigma and also because of the potential for ignorant people to then take that idea and misuse and abuse it and end up using that exercise in a in a bad way that either causes bad habits or ends up hurting the horse. Well, that's especially true for especially someone that's more in like the clinician realm of it. You give someone that idea in their head, like we've seen, I know, you know, you, I'm, I have, I know you probably have as well, just basic exercises, the things that people can take out of context. Oh yeah. The most yeah. basic type of exercise. Let's say it's just like the passenger lesson there. Well, he said, you know, such and such said lope, lope them for miles. Okay. Well, I've got a, there's a 30 mile stretch of dirt road. We're going to lope all 30 miles. You know, yeah. and he's going to be broke by the time we get down and back. Yeah. You know, no, and, and I'm, I, again, I'm not even being overly negative because I understand why people don't want to put these ideas out there, you know, because I mean, it could be anything like hobbling and leg restraints is another very touchy subject that a lot of trainers, if they do address it, they, they very thoroughly document every step of the way. So that people can't, because it's so easy to just take stuff out of context and get yourself into a wreck or even simple stuff. Like there's this phenomenon out there of people that will try to desensitize a horse while it's loose and around pin with no halter and lead rope right. on it. You like, like, where do they get these ideas? I don't know. So I, you know, in, in some ways, the, the fact that a lot of people don't want to address this is justified. Right. And I think too, that as trainers, were partly at fault for this too, because you know when everything's going fine and the you know everything's moving forward, there's no drama within the industry. You know, everyone just hush hush, stick to myself, and we go on, and every and everything is just kind of chill. And then as soon as somebody, because especially at the shows, we saw an example of this last summer. Um, someone went around, you know, stalking with a camera phone and took pictures and video of at, at this one i don't remember what the show was but of some horse that was checked up in the stall now granted it you know i don't um now granted the like the way we're going to talk about you know like the the way that it was done um i don't we think don't agree very, with right yeah. as a from a horseman's perspective but then as soon as that happens well then everyone else kind of all the other people that avoided that bad <laughs> situation they like clam up and then all of a sudden you can't no amount of torture will get a word out of their mouth, you know? Yeah. And so in some ways they're almost at, we're almost at fault in a way, because rather than trying to educate and bring this stuff out, because in a, like this particular exercise, 
when it's done right and you approach it as a horseman and you do it the way it was intended and you don't overuse it or abuse it or try to twist it and, and distort it in some way to try and get more and buck the system in a way, if you do it the way it was intended as a horseman, it it will be of great benefit to your program. Oh, yeah. And so it's important, I think, to bring this stuff to the forefront because there's a lot of people that say, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm following everything that such and such says and you know, I'm still doing getting this or I'm not. I never seem to be able to get what, you know, I see as a finished product. What's going on? Well, there's some other things that are going on besides the product that you're getting exposed to. And it's important, I think, to bring this stuff out because there are people like us that were like, especially us, before we got the ability to go and have the opportunity to work and learn some other things. Like we were just scrambling for information. Oh, yeah. And we we're always running up against this brick wall where we just get just far enough. And then we hit the point where we're like, well, we're not making any progress. Yeah. Well, what are we I, missing here? I think in this era of everyone having a smartphone with a camera on it, everyone effectively being a, an undercover journalist, potentially, the era when you could keep this stuff sort of behind the barn and on the down low, uh, that's kind of going away because if you don't educate people about these things, then there's either, you know, like the legit horsemen, there's a gap in their perception, like, what am I missing here? Kind of like you just described. This is one of those things that can be a very effective addition to your training program if applied correctly. But then there's other people who have no education on the subject and then they see it happening or they see it being applied and they take that out of context and attach a negative connotation because they've never, they have no understanding of what's actually going on. See, and so I think in this day and age, it's, it's better to just come out and try to put out your ideas in sort of an educational way or fully explain things rather than trying to hide it. And again, in this case, I don't think there's anything to hide necessarily because if done right, it will not only get a horse softer physically uh, and better at just carrying themselves in a collected manner, but it can actually build their confidence to stay soft and stay in frame for longer periods of time. It just teaches them to travel while staying relaxed and soft and not looking for an escape from the pressure. Um, it just builds their confidence. And, but because it's so effective, you know, most trainers do it in some form or another, but, but don't often, uh, acknowledge it. So I'd say this, the biggest difference between our philosophy versus the typical way that checking back or bidding up is done is that we try to use it from the perspective of trying to build confidence and enhance the softness that we've already taught. Well, there is the point I think you need to stress too, is You've already taught. Yes, we've we've it. already laid a foundation and we're expanding on that. Uh, whereas a lot of people, and we've seen it firsthand, they use it on a horse that's not prepared to basically teach softness directly, like right. forcefully. Yeah, either has no idea and it's just a way to like almost have a controlled battle where yeah. you're removed from the animal in some way yeah, they, and you force the softness upon them. Or it's ill-prepared foundationally, and rather than stepping back away from the situation, being like, okay, we obviously have a foundational issue here, so let's back up a little bit, fix the problem, and then move forward. Rather than that, they're like, oh, okay, well, let's just use this, and we can ignore all that time that it might take to fix the problem, because that fixing the problem, going back and fixing the problem looks like just wasted time. Yeah. you know. So, so let's go and just battle it out this way. And we'll be just, just yeah. fine. Let's, let's cram them into the bind and basically just force them into this, even though they have no real preparation or they, the horse hasn't been set up for success. And 
that's why it's gotten such a bad rap, I think, is that often it's used as a quick fix and just a hack to dominate and exhaust the horse. Like if he's being real stiff and belligerent, instead of being a horseman and just addressing the true root of the problem, oftentimes trainers are tempted to just check the horse back super tight as a punishment, sometimes for hours at a time, which it only yields short-term gain, if any at all. You know, well, That's the, the big thing, too. It, it just creates like a cycle yeah. where the horse is ill-prepared, so they get put in this, in this massive trap of a bind that they can't escape, and so they're kind of forced down into where they're supposed to be. And then there's, there, it really is, it's like a mental shock to the, to the horse in that situation. Yeah. They don't know quite how to handle it. And so it really like knocks them back on their heels for a second. It's like you, you meet somebody and they just pop you in the chest and you immediately, you know, realize the physical nature of this person, how strong they are. And for a second, you're like caught off guard back on your heels for a second, you know, and so you almost kind of tiptoe around them a little bit. Well, the horse is kind of like that as well. They'll go a week or two without testing the person at that point. They're like, okay, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened there. I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you any trouble. Well, then after two weeks that, you know, they've kind of forgot about it in a way. And that demon has kind of resurfaced again because it's still there. It never left. It just got kind of beaten down. But the demon grows back again. And now this time it grows back just a little bit bigger. And then it's another another big kind of a fight. And then it comes and it's just like the demon leaves. But every time that it leaves, it comes back sooner and bigger. Yeah, it's like there's a cycle that starts with, oh, we've had some bad rides. This horse is real stiff in the face. I'm going to check him back super tight to the saddle horn, you know, tie the reins off and leave him there for four hours. And and initially that might work short term, but then you get into a cycle of bigger and bigger fights with fewer and fewer positive training sessions in between. It's like... Right. The, the effectiveness of it, as you overplay your hand, it gets more and more, the horse just gets more and more numb and they actually, they actually reject it more and more and you create more and more problems and bad habits for yourself. And, and we've seen it, you know, the, um, the method of just tying the reins up to the back of the saddle or, or half hitched the horn to the horn extremely tight to the point that the horse is practically gagging. And they've got nowhere to go to find a release from the pressure. And a lot of times that's done for hours just for the purpose of forcing the horse to accept it and also exhaust the muscles in their neck to create sort of the illusion of softness. And many times the reins will be just checked straight back to the horn or whatever. And so the horse, their nose is not tipped in any direction. So they've got all the leverage and actually an incentive to sit there and fight the bit. Right. And which they usually resort to. Right. In fact. And, and that's the, the whole key there that you mentioned in the beginning is I'd say the most commonly used or traditional way of doing it is just to tie or half hitch the reins straight back to the horn. I, I, yeah. Know, I've seen some around the back, like both of them around the back of the saddle. Usually it's just half hitched to the horn or they go up through and then over the horn and around and tied off or, or across um, the seat of the yeah, saddle. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But the problem with that is that the horse is always kept perfectly straight is probably the biggest thing, first of all, and super tight. So there's not really any, any ability for him to get off the pressure, which is almost, it's there. It's almost designed not to happen in a way. Like they almost, it's almost like you said, more just to wear the horse out, like physically, emotionally and mentally kind of wear them out and just shock them mm. rather than, give them a place to get off of the pressure and 
keeping the horse perfectly straight like that, at least in, in our opinion, you're, you've given the horse all the leverage at that point. When he has the leverage, especially in that situation where he's got the leverage and he has nowhere to go, nowhere to release to, how how much is that going to increase his his desire to yeah, fight? Yeah, well, horses... How much? Like a ton. Exactly. What else does he have to do? Exactly. He's got the leverage, but nowhere to release. So your natural inclination is to try and use that leverage to get out of the situation. Yeah, he's got nowhere to go. He's feeling trapped and claustrophobic. And so naturally, he's going to... He's going to try to force his head up high and try to climb out of the bridle or even rear up and flip over backwards just in desperation to escape the pressure, which often results in broken saddles, broken bridles, oftentimes injuries to the horse, you know, even as bad as a broken neck. Yeah. Uh, or at the very least, the very least, you have a horse that wasn't prepared correctly to handle that level of a bind that now has an ingrained bad habit of looking to escape those types of high-pressure situations by whatever means necessary. You know, at that point now, you've taught him that rearing up and flipping over is now a viable option yeah. to get out and of that. And there's another point here to be made, too, as far as, you know, that the tightness and having nowhere to really release to it and, like, the straightness. But you mentioned, like, the, the length of time. Like, you know, four hours, six hours is, I would say, the general window mm -hmm. as a general rule. And there gets to a point in the, even if you were riding the horse, there's always a point where the horse just shuts down mentally and they don't learn anything. And it's the same thing with this, with checking horse bag or bidding them up or anything like that. After, after probably 30 minutes maximum, you've lost any sort of learning capacity with that particular exercise. Yeah. It's, it's completely pointless. And then it becomes the horse spends, let's say the remaining five and a half hours, just building resistance, braciness and the growing the desire to fight. And they become professionals at then grabbing the bridle and running off. You know, like I've seen so many horses that had problems circling that it was like <laughs> bidding them up, just le left in the arena for six hours to, to brace against it, like arched up like a, a knight, the horse chest piece, the knight, mm -hmm. you know, they've got that big old Roman neck on them. Yeah. Um, like they get professional at that. And then as soon as you try to, as soon as somebody tries to soften them up, run in a fast circle, look out because it just takes off. And it's like, oh, you're going to pull on the reins? <laughs> Boy, you, you don't know what pull on the reins means, you know, and it just yeah. eats whoever's lunch is riding them. Well, you create a horse that's essentially an expert at stiffness and also evading pressure so like you mentioned with circling oftentimes guys will go around they need to check the horse or whatever they'll go to take a hold of his face bridle him up a little bit get some face on him and that horse's immediate reaction is to throw his head up and just absolutely leap over the moon and oftentimes what we've just talked about the misuse of this checking back or bidding up whatever you want to call it often that's a significant root or a fertilizer for that problem it's it's it really exacerbates the issue right um and you know i've seen on multiple occasions horses that had no previous exposure to being checked straight back with solid reins and then the trainer starts trying to not only will he check them back and just leave them out there to just wander the arena but oftentimes with no preparation they'll check a horse back with solid reins and then go to try to drive them forward around the round pin with a lunge whip and that's that's when the horse is really in for a shock because he already has no conception of how to deal with that pressure on his face, 
But now he's actually being asked to drive forward and soften to it at the same time with no preparation. And a lot of times that results in disaster, rearing up, flipping over, broken saddles, cuts and bruises, if not something more serious. Right. And to, to make matters worse, that's often done very inconsistently. You know, the horse has no preparation and then they get like a one-off session or it's very spotty and there's no chance for them to get used to or learn anything from that exercise over uh, successive days. It's, it's often used just kind of as a one-off thing, as a punishment. And it, it loses its effectiveness, whatever might have been there. Right. Well, I think going back um, to what you were saying previously about tying them up with the solid reins, checking them back, solid reins, and then driving them around. A big problem with that, too, with the solid reins and then adding that forward motion, especially with the horse that's ill-prepared. That movement, the natural movement of their body is going to pull on those reins. And it's going to, and especially when they're kind of tied down in a way, even some people that do it fairly loose, the horse then will panic or they'll get worried which they typically do mm -hmm. and they'll throw their head up well it's like hitting the ceiling because yeah. they hit the end of that solid rain and it's like bam and they're i mean they're at the end of that rain and there's nowhere else to go after that and then what of course what's the horse's reaction after hitting after hitting it again well they're gonna panic and throw their head again and so it's like you know they keep hitting the end of the rain and and, and it just it more so you know if the horse is fairly good natured they'll get kind of more intimidated by intimidated by it and they'll find okay i just need to kind of hide my neck down here and, and we'll be fine but if the horse is a, is a little bit more kind of a you know a hot-blooded type horse more naturally nervous you know they'll keep fighting it and yeah. snap your rein or flip over or whatever and some people even just out of pure laziness and not wanting to put the time in to get them broke they prefer that the horse hits it as they say just to kind of knock them off of it and scare them into not testing the bridle or pushing against it in a yeah. way. Well, that really creates a horse, and oftentimes they going into it with with you know low amount of preparation. Um, but then it, what gets made worse by this is that the horse is kind of shocky like that, where they initially will hit that bit pressure, they'll hit the end of the rein, they'll get surprised and panic, they'll throw their head up again and hit it all the harder, and it's just like a cycle in there right. to where. If you go ride those horses later, that's exactly the response you feel when you go to bridle them up with your hands is that they get real shocky and offended about just being touched on the face like that. Right. And they, they're professionals by that point of avoiding pressure. Right. And I think another important point, too, that you mentioned the inconsistency. Um, I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I saw this, I'd be a millionaire right now. Um, the, the times that, let's say, it would happen on a Wednesday – and then there's a horse show that weekend. So Thursday, everything's packed up and left. Friday through Sunday's show. Get back Monday. Do it again. It was like I had one life-shocking experience with the whole bid it up or check back or whatever. And then it gets a whole weekend, four day, a four-day weekend to think about it. For that and, negative experience. Right. To soak. So yeah. one, it knocks the horse back. But then there's not – so even even in theory, if you still did it that way, if you had consistency in a way – You'd knock the horse back on their heels, and then after several sessions of it, they would, you know, they would eventually just be like, "Okay, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just going to accept it and try and find a way to be good," you know. And but instead, they knock them back, and they get this massive culture shock, and then four days off, and then the horse is like, "Okay, I don't know what the heck happened, but I survived, so I could take it. So next time, I'm going to try a little bit harder." To avoid that because I know that I can handle it. And it's like yeah. they almost become like the equine Braveheart. Like they go in there and, you know, like rah, rah, 
you know, I can, and it's like that demon grows double time because there was no continual, um, consistency to ingrain anything. Like I never once saw the, you know, or very rare, I never was very rare. Uh, for, I have to say that, um, like the rule of kind of the threes, you know, three to four days, usually three days. It takes for a horse to develop a habit like day one. You're just planting the seed. The horse really doesn't know exactly what went on. Day two, now he's starting to get an idea. Like it's beginning to form a habit. And then by day three, you have formed a habit. Like he knows now what was going on. And anything that you introduce, you'll find that if you can do it three successive days, by that third day, he will have got the general idea. Day one, you won't make much progress. Like it's even like a turnaround. Day one, not much progress. Day two, oh, we got a step. Day three, that was a pretty easy step. Now he knows what you're looking for. And then every day after that just serves to further ingrain that habit. But if I do one day of my turnaround and then I wait four days and then I come back to it, I might as well have not done that one day. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It'd be like getting thrown in a cage match with an MMA fighter with no fighting experience of your own and just getting absolutely destroyed and then nothing for like the next week. And then, you know, like... If you get no actual training, you have no preparation, but then just every so often out of the blue, this guy comes along and beats you up. You're going to start to get pretty defensive and vicious about that when that happens. Um, yeah, you won't it, build it, up any skill sets. You'll just build up tolerance. And to hits. Well, you'll, yeah, you'll build up tolerance to the pain and also just resentment of what's going on. Right. You know, like it's the opposite of creating mental softness or good mental habits in a horse. Um, so just to summarize, I suppose. The main issues when we talk about checking a horse back uh, or just checking them around or different variations in general, the main misuses that we want to avoid that we've kind of gone through already are checking a horse straight back and to the saddle. This is the biggest one right here, yeah, I think. This is the biggest one is that to avoid checking a horse straight back to the saddle so to the point where there's no leverage on your part. The horse there, has all the leverage. The horse has all the leverage, but he also... There's no possible release of pressure for him to find or, or in any incentive for him to even look for possible releases of pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Other than to throw his head up and fight the bridle or rear up and flip over in an effort to create his own release of pressure. Other misuses to avoid are checking a horse back with solid reins that the horse can either break or you surprise the horse and cause him to panic when he hits the end of the rein, in which, again, rearing up, flipping over cutting his tongue, all that bad stuff could potentially happen. Uh, you also want to avoid checking the horse back for hours at a time with no purpose other than to just wear them out and also punish them. And this one is, is very common. We see this all the time. Again, any longer than half an hour and you're absolutely wasting your time. You missed the training you, window. You, you, you're doing more harm than you. Yeah. You missed the training window. You're doing actually less good than what you intended. You're actually creating more problems after 30 minutes. Like after 30 minutes, the horse is no longer in the remote frame of mind to be learning anything. And it then just becomes a matter of just kind of, again, like physically, emotionally, and mentally just draining the horse to try and uh, basically gain shock value rather than actually learning anything. Yeah. And that leads into the next point, which is just the lack of horsemanship that we want to avoid is you know, often this various iterations of this are done with no preparation or just as an excuse to avoid taking a step back as a horseman and fixing holes in the horse's foundation. You know, this is used as like a silver bullet or a quick hack 
as a as a substitute for a lack of foundation oftentimes. And that leads into the final point that we want to avoid, which is just the overall irresponsible use and lack of consistency when applying these types of exercises, you know, on one day off for three or off for a week, just being all over the place with no chance for the horse to learn anything or take away anything useful that's positive in the experience. So by contrast, we want to make sure that the horse, if we're going to check him back, is adequately prepared. We want to introduce the checking itself in sort of progressive stages that that aren't going to overwhelm the horse either. Right. I think it's just important to realize that, reiterate again, that this particular style of training or this this exercise, this type, this method or whatever you want to call it, it has value and when used the right way is a great addition to a program and does a lot for your horse both physically and mentally and improving the training and the the willing nature of the of the horse and their responsiveness but this we have to lay out especially at this beginning all the the negatives that go to this because of the bad rap that this particular you know like the the checking up has gotten in a lot of you know uh, organized equine um sports yeah definitely and i think a lot of the stigma comes from the misuse of it because people look at it as a way, again, like a silver bullet or a quick hack to do things instead of an asset or an accessory to a well-rounded program. That's the mindset that you have to have with this. It's like an addition or I don't know if you want to call it a supplement. This isn't this isn't the main core of your softness no. program. It's a good asset that when used in the right doses can really help, can actually be effective if applied in the in the right way. That's why we're going out of our way to disavow the negative versions of this or what we see as not effective or downright just stupid. And, and it's, well, it's pure laziness and it's lack of horsemanship. horsemanship, yes, you know, exactly. at its core. And that's why there's a lot of you know organizations that go out after it. And that's why there's some people that they literally live to go and snoop at horse shows to try and find stuff like this. And it does a disservice to the industry to keep this all hush hush and only doing it at home and, you know, <laughs> having their army of assistants standing around the stall to block any particular people with a camera phone. You know, it does a From disservice. Seeing the horse check back right. in the stall. Yeah. Yes. And yep. for hours, yeah. you know, and it's, it's something that's important to kind of call out the, like the, the misuse of it, but also bring into light that, Hey, there is a way that you can do this that actually enhances your program, makes your horse better, and will give you a better result. Yeah, I think that's what we're trying. Like, just to make ourselves clear here is that we're we're calling out and advocating against the misuse of this, but also advocating the benefits of, you know, when this is done correctly, this is not a bad thing. This is not evil. This is not abusive. It can be a strong, positive asset for your program and actually build confidence in the horse. You know, we're willing to take the heat on this one because we believe so strongly in this. We apply this with our own horses and we've never cut a horse's tongue, had them flip up over backwards or any of that other crazy stuff. We've never broken bridles or saddles doing this. And yeah, and this isn't, and again, the way of doing it that we're going to describe isn't something that we made up out of the blue. No. This is something that we learned and we got to see very vastly different ways of doing well this. we were taught one way and then we got to then contrast that with other yes. other methods that we saw and so this is what we subsequently believe in having seen the other ways that this yes is done. seeing the other stuff very quickly made us realize the value 
of doing it the way that we originally learned it. Yes. You know, and the, when we originally learned that, we were like, holy cow, like this is, this is a, a big upgrade or change in our horsemanship. Like that was something that we didn't ever learn trying to soak up all the articles and information that we could find everywhere. Like there's great value to this, but getting the opportunity to see many different ways of doing it, I think it was pretty obvious to us that like the way that we learned it originally was as a horseman approach, it is far, by far the best. Yeah. So we're going to try to lay that out here. And obviously on audio, we're limited somewhat, but we want to run through these steps and kind of paint a mental picture of how we do this. And and those of you listening out there, those who don't really have an idea of what this is, can get a good dose of what we believe and how we would apply this. Those of you who are aware of what we're talking about, what we're going to describe might contrast with the way you were taught or what you've been exposed to, or it might validate what you've already been doing. In any case, we're just going to throw out our opinion, which is what we always do here. We're not trying to down talk people, but we're just putting out our ideas of what we think is the best way that works for us, in fact. So in the beginning, when we check the horse around, just to say this up front, we do not start by checking a horse straight back with solid reins. In the beginning, we actually check the horse around laterally with one rein, and we will use a solid rein at that point. We've done enough lateral flexion that what we then do, you know, check him around with one rein with his head bent laterally, that he already has a basic idea of what's going on, and it's not a major shock to his system. Exactly. He, he, he understands how to flex laterally, and so checking around, say, to his tail or his hawk or the back of the saddle isn't a big deal, and it's more just like a little baby step stage to then go to checking him back with two reins. Um, but just to start off with, so at what point in the training do we introduce this? You need to have a lot of foundation on this horse. He needs to understand how to soften laterally, bend, move off your leg, stop, back up. He needs to, we talk a lot about in the podcast of getting a young horse to be accepting of pressure. And that's absolutely what you need to have established or at least well on track at this point before you even think of doing any of this. Yeah. So like the very big, like the overview, I guess, is we start out just one rein at a time, just laterally, you know, either to the tail to the hawk or to the back of the saddle. And then from there, then we go to two reins and we go between the front legs and up to the back D's, but we use a bungee cord. So if the horse hits that, instead of hitting a solid wall, they can keep raising their head up and it just increases the tension, but there's no bam hit out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And then from there, once, once we've done the bungee cord, then we can start checking one down and around just you know, in the arena, like at a standstill with solid reins. And then from there, then we can actually check one again back in a round pin, moving them around with the bungee cords again, but with their nose tipped. And those are kind of like the different, the stages in progression starts out just purely lateral, then two reins and the horse is straight with bungee reins and we're driving them around the round pin. And so that them moving with the reins in between their, their front legs and their chest kind of moving kind of rocks the bit gently in the horse's mouth and encourage them to get off of it. But with the bungee reins, they have somewhere to go. Mm. And then once that is accomplished, and again, before we do every step, there's preparatory work done beforehand. Before we check one around laterally, we've done a bunch of lateral flexion. We've done a bunch of lateral soft softening. And so it's nothing new. There's no shock. Like it's, it's normal. And then before we go vertically, even with the bungee reins, we've already established vertical at the walk, trot, and canter under saddle. 
So there's nothing new there. All we're really adding is now just the, the bungee reins, giving them maybe even a little bit more freedom. And then once that's done, then we can check them just in the arena and, and kind of let them just wander around, but check down vertically and with their nose tipped so they don't have, rather than checking them straight back with leather reins, they're tipped so they don't have the leverage. And so there's less likelihood that they'll have resistance when they don't have the leverage. Plus they have got some room to actually get off of it. And at that point, we'll use solid reins, but the horses had now the prep of us vertically under saddle mm-hmm. and vertically with the bungee reins that there's zero chance or maybe like, you know, a 2% chance of him actually hitting that um, on his own with the solid rein. But yeah. I, I highly doubt there's a, a chance that really if you've done your homework right. And then after that, then we actually will round pin them again with the bungee reins, but their nose tipped going both ways, either with their nose tipped to the inside or their nose tipped to the outside around the round pin. But again, before we do that, we've had all this prep work laterally and vertically to get up to that. But I think it's like getting into it, like introducing it. The very early days, you know, there's some, everyone has their own opinion on like starting colts and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. I think when you initially start your colt, you do some, you do a form of checking them around, which, you know, like we have checking back, we have checking down and around. We've got checking around. There's all these checkings. Checking around will be tipping their nose with one rein to the side, right. either the tail to well, the hawk or to the back of the and saddle. And if you know what you're doing, you can apply the just the lateral with one solid rein checking around at, you know, at an earlier stage than six weeks of intense training. There's kind of a baby step there. Like the least offensive thing that you could do is check them around to their tail. So effectively, you know, so help me paint a little mental picture of this. Yeah, no, that's like when you're initially getting ready to ride like a colt, you know, you could just hop on there. And, you know, I've seen a ton of people that just go with a a halter and lead rope and they just hop on and just let it go wherever and whatever. Do you, but we like to teach the horse to follow their nose in that early stage with nobody on on their back when you're just doing your little safety checks to make sure that this ride's going to go well. We also have to make sure that we can at least somewhat steer the horse. Like we're not going to have great control at all, but we need to have planted some sort of a seed. Mm -hmm. So step one, the day before you would actually ride the horse is you could tie the horse to their tail or check them around to their tail. So you would, let's say you'd flip the stirrup up over the horn and let's say we're going to, we're going to tie them first to the, to the tail, bending them to the left. So, you know, the right rein because, you know, you need two different reins. You can't have like a loop rein to do this. You need two individual reins that are long enough. So you'll loop the one loosely over the horn. Now, loosely, I mean, there's drape in the rein. I don't mean like, you know, a half-ass knot, like cinch it down on the on the horn. But there's got to be plenty of rein so that the horse isn't being pulled on by on the other side of his mouth. And then you flip the stirrup up so he won't hit that or get caught in it or chew on it or anything like that. And then you just grab his tail. You hold his tail out. You bend the horse's head to about 90, depending on how green they are. If it's really stiff colt, really clumsy, unathletic, or a really big colt, you might want to go just past 45. Eventually, you'd go about 90, and you'll lay the rein the rain over the tail, then you'll fold the tail up, up and over the rein, and then you'll half hitch it, or whatever that knot is. I think it's a half hitch. Yeah, it's a half hitch. To, to lock it down the tail, and then you just keep half hitching it over the actual yep. rein itself to kind of cinch it on on the tail so it won't uh, loosen itself up. So de- depending on how this 
horse is put together physically, you're going to have him, you're going to have his nose tipped around somewhere between 45 and 90. And with a little yes. experience, with a little play, you'll figure out kind of where the sweet spot is that it's not so challenging for the horse that he's got no release to find, but it's not so vanilla that he can pull his head completely the other way exactly. around. You're better off going a little bit loose to start rather than too tight and then tightening it up as you go. And a good rule of thumb, because for tying the horse to the tail, you're not just tying it to his tail and leaving it there. That What you're doing is you're tying it to his tail, and then you're going to move the horse around. Like, move his front end over, move his hind end over. Move his front end over, move his hind end over. And you're kind of driving him around in these little mini circles around the round pin, getting him to move and follow his nose. Well, if every time you move his front end and his hind end, he's like stumbling backwards on top of himself, you've got it. Wait, you've got him too bound up. Mm -hmm. You've got him checked around too tight. Now, if you try to move his front end around and then his hind end around, and he's like jogging circles around, it's way too loose. Yeah. You need him to be able to step over with his front end, step over with his hind end, step over with his front end, step over with his hind end. So if he's running out and around to get around, way too loose. If he's falling back and stumbling on himself, it's way too tight. Yeah. And so you need to be smart about this. Start off a little bit loose. You can always tighten it up. So, and I realize we rushed through that subject having not really explicitly laid out in detail our cult starting process, which might be pretty foreign for some people. But just to sum it up again, the reason why we do this is because it's a non-intimidating way of safely on the ground teaching this horse to kind of follow his nose. You're just creating a little pressure to move his shoulder over, move his hindquarters over, front end, hind end, kind of spiraling the horse around, teaching him to follow a feel. And I know a lot of people will check this. They'll do something similar but they'll have the rein checked back up to the saddle right away. And we do do that down the line very quickly. But the reason why we start with the tail is because, number one, again, it's actually kind of hard to get the horse too bound up if you go to the tail. Oftentimes, you'll find that you're having to reset the thing every so often because there's a little bit of kind of sponginess yeah. almost. It's, it's hard to get it overly tight. It's very unintimidating for the horse. And it's also, rather than going up high to the saddle, it's at kind of a lower, more effective angle, especially if you have a hackamore or a snaffle bit. Um, in either case, this can be done. And it really is like a non-confusing uh, feel for that horse to follow. You know, it's he's not getting bound up at a high angle. It's literally straight laterally out to the side, effectively. It's an easy answer for him to find right in other and words. you're moving them around the round pin you know you're trying to be conscious of when they take nice clean and smooth steps with their front end moving it across or the hind end and then you can back away let the horse settle and do it again and you do this maybe between three and five minutes depending on how quiet or nervous the colt is or how much they struggle but you're not going to be running them around for front end hind end a whole five minutes no <laughs> it's moving around you're trying to get the horse to follow their nose. So you're looking for those opportunities when the horse steps around clean and they honor that, you know, hackamore or bridle, whatever you're using. They honor that and follow it. And then you back away, let the horse settle, start again, you know, using your training stick or whatever to pressure the horse. You have a, a stick with a bag on it mm -hmm. or just cluck and then tap or a stick with a flag, whatever that you pressure, you know, that you're using to encourage the horse to move. Yeah. The second one then after the tail is then to the hawk. Um, and this is like, we would do this the next day after the tail. So they already have the seed planted of following their nose to the tail. But again, we've done a bunch of 
like lunging and, and uh, lateral type of softness with the halter. So they understand that it's not a complete foreign thing to them, first mm-hmm. of all. But then we'll go to the hawk. And so you want to, this time, same thing with the outside rein. You just tie it up to the horn, but make sure it's loose so that it's not going to get pull pre- put pressure on the outside of the horse's mouth, but not so loose that he might step through it. We've right. seen that as well. You, right. you need to be smart about this. It's got to be loose enough that's not pulling on his mouth but not so loose that he could possibly get his knee over it or his, his foot over it. And then the inside rein, say we're going to the left again, you run that through your left stirrup and then to his hawk. And you and you would go like up right above the hawk and below the gasket, right in that kind of area. So mm-hmm. it won't slip below the hawk, but it won't run up his leg. It's either. kind of resting right just above the cap of the hawk. Yeah. And you'll run it through the stirrup in order to, again prevent the rain from draping so much these steps through with a front leg or something. And again, it, it gets a lot of, it's the same idea as the tail. We won't harp on this too much, but it's just a slightly more, just a little bit more of a bind, just the next little baby step well, yeah, up. Because now instead of just steady pressure with his tail, now every time you move the front end and the hind end as he steps, it's like a pull and release, mm-hmm. pull and release. His, his leg, release. his leg kind of acts like the rider's arm. Especially right. if he goes to just walk out of it or take his head the other way, his leg is back there drawing that rein back and, and encouraging him to break his feet loose, follow that feel, and come right. around. But now when you move him and he steps, realize that when he steps, especially back, he's shortening up that rein. So make sure you start out loose and you can always tighten it up from there. Yep. But make sure, too, that you don't have the tail of the rein dragging on the ground. Exactly. You know, so you need to make sure you do enough knots over the rein itself back through that there's not a bunch dragging on the ground he could step on with his other foot, too. Exactly. But so you run that through the stirrup, around the hawk, tie it off, and you move the horse around front and rear. Front and rear. And this is an, a, a method of checking them around that you can do later on as well. And you can have the horse turned out in the arena rather than moving him front, forward and around, front and back. And you can actually, after a ride, say if he's particularly stiff to one particular side, um, especially on a greener horse, and you're really trying to haul him around, let's say to the left. You Every time you try and steer him to the left, you know, it's like trying to turn a locomotive off the train tracks or something, <laughs> right. you know, you're just hauling him around. So you can do this after ride um, to kind of improve that lateral softness to that side, like really put emphasis on, you need to get off, you know, the, the left rein. And so you can have them turned out in the arena t- tied to their hawk or checked mm-hmm. to their hawk, whatever you want to or checked around the side to their hawk. And, it works good because you can let them wander around the arena. And as they wander around, there's that pull and release, pull and release. But it's not you up there trying to pull and kick and causing a fight. He's just pulling and releasing on himself. And without you on his back, the pressure has backed off. And so he has a little bit more time to think about what's going on and what he needs to do to get off that pressure. But you can't do that. You If you do this, where you can go wrong now is you could say, well, 20 minutes is good, but four hours is better. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, no, four hours is actually way worse. An hour is bad. 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 max is all you would get where the horse is actually learning something. Yeah. You- now, the key though is two, and you can screw, let's say you did it for 20 minutes. You, if you just go up there and untie the rein, let's say from the horse's hawk and let his head go straight, you've just ruined that 20 minutes of anything that horse learned because the last thing that happened after you unchecked him was that he just got to pull his head back straight. Anytime you uncheck the horse, either vertically 
Well, laterally, you never release the reins until the horse has softened. So if I'm tying to the tail, or I'm checking them around to their hawk, or even to the back of the saddle here in, in a second, I'm always going to finish it off. Let's say I have his head bent to 90. Well, I'm going to be holding the rein with one hand while I untie it with the other so that the head doesn't move past where I had it checked around. And then before I release the rein, I'm going to soften him either vertically or laterally, depending on how I have him checked back, and then release it. So the last thing that happened when that pressure was released was a big give. And yeah. that's a huge mental win. You, and you, if you don't do that, you've just defeated the whole purpose and you might as well have just put the horse away 20 minutes ago yeah it's like you polish or varnish the the experience with that last flex to really seal the deal yeah. if you just let them pull the rein through your hand or just take their head back straight with no acknowledgement there when you go to uncheck them you've just kind of pissed on the entire experience and again you want to be mindful that you're not leaving them out there for very long this it works good in small doses so you're not frying their brain and the reason why we advocate this for even the younger horses, and and keep in mind what we've talked about up to now, you're going to do initially in a smooth snavel, although we will move beyond that, but we're not going to start with like a screw bit or something. We're going to start off very inoffensive, very vanilla, with just a smooth snaffle to teach the concept, but it's actually so much better for the horse mentally, especially the younger ones, because even early on, if you're dealing with a horse that's got a lot of stiffness, particularly on one side of their body... You're going to get a, you're going to benefit them a lot more working on it this way than say being up there just absolutely jerking and pounding on that right rein, trying to break through that stiffness. It's better to just kind of let them put them in a little bit of a bind there. No, yeah. as we've described and let them kind of lean on themselves and find that release and figure out for their, for themselves what they're supposed to do. Because a lot of times if you're up there just jerking and pounding, the horse is going to get they're more focused on being intimidated and worried about the rider than actually finding the release. Right. Well, it's like you're confusing the whole situation. You just let him alone his own devices, let him figure it out. You'll make a lot more gains. Exactly. So then the third way of doing it is then around to the back of the saddle. And this is a little bit, you know, like the first, the one that we just previously did, that would be like the day that, you know, we would do that, like say the day we're doing our first ride. Well, then also we would throw it in later on, you know, down the road if we felt like we needed it, especially in the beginning sessions when we're first getting it out in the arena and we introduced the steering exercises. That was when we would start to say, check it around to its hawk in the arena aside from that, you know, first ride. Well, same thing here with the back of the saddle, depending on, you know, uh, what I felt needed to be done. It was, you know, if the horse was really, really stiff or, you know, maybe not so bad if, if I just wanted them to kind of, you know, set the distance that they couldn't um, pull, you know, that they had to at least be, have their head around to this certain, you know, let's say 90 degrees, then I would go and, you know, tie it around in the back of the saddle. And like, especially if they were like particularly stiff. And I was like, no, you, you need to focus on, you can't come past 90 degrees. We need to focus on giving off this pressure. Yeah. I'd probably do it at the back of the saddle. So when but you, if I wanted them to actually have that pull and release, pull and release, and just kind of melt into it and find it, then I would go more to the hawk. It's just kind of a judgment call. Yes, there. definitely, definitely. Now, when you're going around to the back of the saddle, obviously your offside rein or the way that their head isn't bent, just like we described before, yep, enough drape in it to, to give them room so that they don't, they're not pulling on the opposite side of the mouth. And then just with that other rein, you're just going to take it up around the back of the saddle, bring it then back across the seat, and just half hitch the rein right there, or just a square knot, 
whatever works best. Sometimes you got to make a little double knot there. And again, you know, this works best, especially when you initially introduce this. Usually it's at the end of the ride to really kind of make a point or, or seal off if there's an area they were struggling, one side or the other that was stiffer, um, and you want to work on that. It's best to do this in a, you know, three days in a row initially, um, at three days in a row at the end of each ride. And you want to start off relatively, you know, like say, have them out there checked around for 10 minutes while you watch them to make sure that you don't have them in too much of a bind that they're getting trapped and claustrophobic and they're threatening to rear up and, and all this other stuff. Or making sure that you don't have them too loose, that they're just out there walking around and there's nothing getting accomplished. So maybe the first day you do 10 minutes. Next day, you do 15 to 20. Uh, 30 minutes would probably be a max amount. That's about, yeah, because max this is this is a very inoffensive way to check a horse around, but you still don't want to leave them out there for hours. 30 minutes, you know, 25, 30 minutes max, obviously less in the initial sessions. That's kind of a good ballpark yeah, for this. No you, more. If you had 20, 25 minutes, that's perfect. There's You don't have to go, well, I got to do exactly 30 or I'm not going to get anything out of this. No. About 20, 25 minutes, you made your point, and you go out there and you finish with a, a softening the horse up, boom, massive win, huge change. Yep. But like you said, you have to do this with repetition. If you, like, once you've moved past, like, the first ride, and you've actually gone and you've started doing some steering type of exercises with the horse, and you're experiencing that stiffness, particularly a certain way, you want to do it. Either the checking around their hawk or checking around the back of the saddle. And I don't know if we had mentioned or not, but it's important to note, too, that if you're checking them around the back of the saddle, flip that stirrup up over the horn first mm-hmm. so it's out of the way and then, you know, loop the, the rein around. Um, but it has to be done in like a three-day interval. Like you want to actually do it for three days in a row, not only so the horse understands what's going on and actually has time to learn what's going on, but you then, as the rider and as the trainer, can analyze, okay, what how what effect did this have on the ride? Or what effect has it had over the three days? If you just do it one day, you really don't know what you've got. Yeah. You do it for three days in a row, now you can see, okay, did it to the hawk, three days, that didn't do anything. Like he you know, I had him he moved around a little bit, but not a whole lot. He just more kind of just stood there. And he doesn't really feel a whole lot better. So, you know what? Okay. Um, you know, I'm kind of, I don't need, I'm not going to do, you don't want, you wouldn't want to do back to back, like three days to the hawk and then three days to the back of the saddle. That's no, irresponsible. No. And that's not, that's not the point of this. So you'd say, okay, well, you know, I did it the three days this week. I'm going to keep it progressing. And now next week, I'm going to go to the back of the saddle because I didn't, or maybe, the week after that, depending on where you're at in your program. But I, you yeah. know, usually let's say if I did it for three days and then I wrote him the, the next, let's say four, if he's green, I'll write him the next four days that week. Nothing happens. So I might write him maybe a day or two the next week and then do three days in a row to the back of the saddle and yeah. see, okay, well, obviously tying into his hawk that I had it maybe a little bit too loose. That wasn't necessary. He, he can kind of stand in a particular way where he can cheat the system and go more toward 45 than 90. So I'm going to do it at the back of the saddle this time, keep him more at 90 and see if we can do something. And after three days, you can say, oh, okay, well, that made a difference there. He's, yeah. he's, he's honoring that bridle a lot more. There isn't a set mathematical formula. It does take some feel and some self-awareness as a horseman to know when to apply this and when it's necessary and, and how effective you're being, which is why, again, it's hard to talk about. And that's why people don't want to do it. I'll, I'll say overall, though, just one quick point here before we move on that. 
in using this, and this goes for all all of what we're going to mention, and this in particular, especially if you're doing it more early on with the younger horses, it's a balance between enough repetition to teach the horse and get the point across versus overusing it. You know, you want to do this enough to be effective, not just sparingly and sparsely to where there's no point to it, but you don't want to do it so much that you sort of overplay your hand and make the horse numb to it. You don't want to do this for a week straight, for example. It needs to be applied in the right doses, spread out enough that, you know, but when you do it, be effective enough to actually get something done. Yes. You just have to be smart about it, to put it very simply. Yeah, and, then, and that's how this can be so easily taken out of context yeah. and abused and misused when, well, okay, you know, we've seen this with different things, you know, especially like, let's say, lateral flexion. Well, they said, do it a thousand times. Well, I'm going to do it a hundred thousand times because that's surely what they meant. No, that's not what they meant. They were trying to overkill people a little bit because they weren't doing enough. Well, now you've taken that way to the extreme and caused more harm than good. Well, it's kind of the same thing here. Well, they said, you know, 20 minutes for three days in a row. Well, what about you know, three hours for seven days a week for 365 days. Like it doesn't work like that. But after a while, the horse will just become numb to it and resentful. It has to be every now and then you have that card up your sleeve that when you need it, when you need it, not when you think you might want it, when you need it, you know that you need it because you've hit a training wall and you're, you know, the horses, let's say they're incredibly stiff. You're, you're trying to haul them around or they're having a, a, a bad attitude towards something. And when you need it, you can pull it out, but it only comes out randomly because yep. the more that you bring it out, it's like that. I guess it would be like a, a parent that makes, you know, shallow threats to their children every day. If they're making shallow throw, well, I'm, you know, you, Timmy, you want a spanking? If you, you know, if you do that, I'm going to give you a spanking. And then it never happens. But every day he's threatened with a spanking. Mm-hmm. Well, how long is it going to take before he just laughs when he hears that phrase? Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. You have to, you've got the card up your sleeve. Use it when the opportune time, but be smart about it because you need, you almost look at it this way. Every time you lose it, that card loses a little value, mm-hmm. loses a little effectiveness. Maybe it's more like saying you have a, uh, prepaid credit card every time you swipe it you got a little less money in the bank a little less money in the bank well if you're going out hitting up every strip mall down in you know downtown vegas and all day every day is swipe 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 well how long is it going to take before the swipe and you're declined yeah absolutely pretty quick now not to stall but one question that's potential that just came to my mind was okay well you guys talked a lot initially about the fact that this horse needs to be prepared to accept something like this, but now you're saying use this, you know, if you're, if you're having a lot of issues with stiffness, I thought you guys said this wasn't supposed to be a magic bullet right. to, to correct issues. Now you tell me if, if this is a fair assessment, Luke, let's say you've got a horse that are they laterally soft? Can you bend them around your leg? Are they moving off your leg? Do they give in the face? Can you flex them, bend them around, etc.? Sure. They're going through the motions. Uh, they're technically doing everything. Uh, they're not overtly belligerent and they don't have a lot of really ingrained bad habits, but they're just got that same old lethargic way of, you know, there's just that same little pocket of stiffness where they're kind of lethargic or reluctant to move off your hands. They do it and go through the motions, but you just need a little something extra there, something to spark a little bit of something in the horse's mind to give him an extra incentive not to hang on your hands right there. 
Would that be a fair assessment of kind of the stiffness that we're talking about uh, that this can kind of help with? Yes. And I think you also have to look at the argument in context of what we're talking about. We're talking about one rein at a time tipping the horse's head to the side where you have the leverage. It's the same thing as, as say, well, a deer jumps out in the trail. What are you going to do? You're going to pull back on both reins? Are you going to pull his head around to the side? Why do you pull his head around to the side? Well, it's the exact same reason that you do one rein checking the horse around. It's the exact same reason. And we're not like the stiff, like the checking the back that we're talking, we're describing here. We're not like checking around the back of the saddle or checking around the hawk and leaving him in the arena. Are we driving them around and making them walk, trot, and lope? Like the stiffness that we felt, say, at the lope when we were trying to steer the horse? No. Yeah, exactly. We're just we're just taking them around with our hawk or the back of the saddle and letting them just freely meander around the arena, mm-hmm. making sure that the rein is is loose enough that when they soften laterally, they have room to go there. That we're not just pulling them all the way around to the stirrup fender and gluing them there. Yeah. Like we're, 90 is the max that you would go. That's plenty of room. He's got another 90 to get around to softening around to his stirrup fender. And he's yeah. not going to use all of that. It's going to be like little baby gives. Yes. But he's got plenty of room to go somewhere, and it's at his own pace. And it's yep. one rein. And it's the exact same theory behind checking him around one rein as, say, stopping a horse with one rein when you're in a bad situation. It's the exact same yep. thing. It's the most basic form possible. And everything we do now, we're doing there um, checking around-wise directly mirrors what we've been doing under saddle for a while. Yes. Like we've been prepping for that under saddle. We're not just throwing them to the wolves and saying, all right, figure out vertical right now. Cause that's what we're talking about with all the methods of checking around before. It's all been the focus on, well, we need to have a headset. We need some vertical. We need some collection. So we're just going to throw his head down. Now let's start out with what he knows and what's the most basic, what gives us the leverage because when the horse, especially in the beginning, they don't know that they're stronger than us. And they only know that if we ever tell them. So especially when we've got the leverage, that's a secret. Like the more leverage that we got, the more we take them off to the side and we take them off balance. It's like we dig the hole even deeper with the treasure box that's buried the card that says, oh, by the way, horse, you're much stronger than us. You know, the more we take them left and right and and take them off balance, the deeper that hole gets. Yeah. It's just about the options of fighting and, you know, going up over backwards and and that type of stuff never even approaches the horse's mind exactly let's uh so once now that we've gotten like just to really contextualize what we've just talked about with checking them around laterally with one rein uh the various methods that we do let's move into the vertical um but before we talk about it let's talk about the bungee reins and just kind of what that consists of because that's and it was i was actually surprised that not many people use this. So let's just kind of clear the air on what we mean by bungee reins. Well, what what we're talking about is not the type of uh, like little bungee cords with hooks on each end that you use to to strap down a tarp in the back of your truck. This we're talking about going to like tractor supply or somewhere where you'll find rolls of that bungee type material. It's got a little bit more give to it, though. It's not so tense and taut as those like industrial ones that they use to haul pallets and stuff um, or to strap down freight. It's not that type of material. It's got more give to it. And you can usually find rolls of it at like tractor supply or something that you can cut into eight foot sections. And on one end of each little rein that you're making, you put one of those little small trigger snaps Mm -hmm. 
You don't want to put like a big fat bull snap off a lead <laughs> rope or something right. that's going to clank around. Just one of those little itty bitty trigger snaps you put on the end of each of each thing that you'll clip directly onto the bit. And again, you find that stuff easy at, at Tractor Supply. That way you're avoiding that sensation of them hitting the end of a solid rain and, you know, like ramming their head into a concrete wall. You take away that shock and that panic that ensues when the horse hits the end of the rain. Um, initially, though, let's walk through when we start off checking a horse back or checking them back, I guess, vertically, as we would refer to it, just straight back to the saddle in the round pin. Again, you want to have some consistency when you introduce this. Now, this is further on down the line than well, what we just talked about with the lateral. Yeah, you have to have you have to have taught the horse. Same thing when we did the lateral. You already taught the horse how to give laterally on the ground and under saddle. Yeah. So before you do the bungee cords, you have to have introduced and taught vertical flexion under saddle at all three gates: the walk, the trot, and the lope. Before you can check yes, it back vertically. And it's not just as simple as, well, I've taught it all three gates. Think of all the suppling and the, and the softness, the lateral control exercises that you've done in conjunction. You don't just go out there and say, okay, today we've got three goals today. We're going to do vertical to walk. We're going to do vertical to trot. We're going to do vertical <laughs> to canter. No, like you warm your horse up. You work on, say, counter bending or two tracking or, or, you know, backing the horse up or, you know, moving the shoulder off or a turnaround or whatever throughout your ride. So you're not always just loping the whole time. You're doing a bunch of breaking them loose and tying them in knots and getting rid of that resistance. And so that all goes in conjunction. So by the time you've got vertical at the walk, trot, and the canter, you've got a fairly broke horse. I mean, it's, it's not broke, but you've got a pretty good handle on it by that point, even if they're fairly green, especially at the canter. But once they have a somewhat decent idea of softening off your hands at the canter, you know, it's not it has to be a whole, they're holding their shape, more of just a pick up, soften them up. They let you handle them. They, they give off of it and then you can turn them back loose, you know, just several strides. Then they're ready to handle it, especially with bungee cords, because with a bungee cord, like you said, they have room to go somewhere if they do in, in fact hit it. There's give. Mm -hmm. And so even if, say, you've only done four or five days vertical at the canter, that, that's usually generally plenty. And you yeah. can get away with it as long as you use some feel. Yeah. And the first day that you do this with the bungee cords, you don't even leave the trot. It's walk and trot. or Well, not even walk. I forget I even said that. Uh, it's just the jog. Yeah. You know, you'll, you know, you'll walk them off initially to make sure that they feel that. But... I want to, I want to kind of, if I can, yeah, you have to walk the horse off and get, let him go about a circle to kind of get used to the feel. But I want to almost say, eat my own words and say, no, you know, like almost erase saying walk because then that almost creates the solution. Well, I'll spend 10 minutes walking and then 10 minutes trotting. No, like walk them around so that they can kind of get the sensation. And then you need to get them moving somewhere, yeah. moving forward. Otherwise, it's pointless what you're doing. Yeah, you just want to, once you've got the reins on, we'll just talk about briefly how to put them on. But essentially, you want to create a little energy, get them loosened up to where they feel it, and then start jogging them around and actually getting something accomplished. But when you go to put these on the horse, you know, the, the, they'll snap directly to either side of the bit, obviously. And you've already checked them around laterally. So when you go to put these on, the horse shouldn't be shuffling around and they shouldn't be flinging their head up in the air the moment you touch their mouth. And like if they're not accepting of even the process right. of putting these on, that's a big red flag that you're nowhere near ready to be doing this. You have no business doing this. Exactly. And this is done in a snaffle. And I would say you probably are best to do it in, say, a twisted snaffle 
or a square snaffle, probably for day one introducing it, a twisted snaffle, just a regular twist. Not a thin twist. No, yep. just a regular twist, and then moving on, especially down the road, then you can use, say, a thin twist or a square or something like that. But you're not going to get anything done either with a smooth snaffle. No. It's more of just wasting your time at that point anyways. Yep. Um, but once you actually have the horse to where you can do your vertical walk, trot, and canter, and the horse has the concept of what to do, you bring him into the arena, oh, sorry, the the round pin, and you're going to... You either get a bridle that's just a head stall and a bit and your chin strap, or you, if you don't want to deal with the extra reins, but if you have, if you have only the bridle with reins on it, then you need to tie them up to the horn, both reins up to the horn. Or if it's one of those, if you have like a loop rein, you can kind of figure eight it, yeah. loop it back over the horse's neck and kind of do a little knot around the brow band. Yeah. Just figure out a way to tie up the you reins. Get the reins out of the way. But, but they not, can't pull on the horse's mouth at all during this exercise. Exactly. They should never make contact with the mouth, but they should be tied up and out of the way unless you just remove them completely, which honestly, that's what I like to yeah. do. I think it's handy to just have a bridle around without reins for this purpose. Yep. But effectively, the way we do it's very simple. Again, the reins we use, the bungees, we make them about eight feet long, so you got plenty of length. You can always cut them depending mm-hmm. on your horse's size, but it's very simple. Just one side and then the other, you're going to snap it up to the bit as if you, as if it were itself a regular rein. Pass that under the horse's chest between their front legs. Then you're going to go up to the back D ring on the saddle. Yep. The reason we like the back D ring and not just directly up to the horn, it just seems like it's a better angle and doesn't bind up for whatever reason. It's not like a sharp angle from under the chest to then up to the horn. Having it to that back D, it just they just hang a little bit better, like you said, and they just it allows for that kind of seesawing motion of the horse's sh- uh, shoulders and chest as they take their strides yep. to kind of gently rock that bridle in the horse's mouth. Yeah. But as far as tightness, you're looking to go, you're looking to put that nose like right on the vertical, ideally. You know, once like in the beginning, you got to go a little bit looser than that, but not not outrageous, mm-hmm. where it's just trotting around and looking out at all its buddies and winning you there's you've got to be doing it with a purpose so you want to go about right try and get it right on the vertical and straight so you may have to send the horse off assess it from the middle oh okay i've I've got the outside rein too loose and he's kind of looking to the inside a little bit so you need to go and and adjust the outside rein and and you need oh well i over adjusted i gotta loosen it back up and well no they're not they're both not tight enough and then you gotta tighten everything yeah like you have to do you have to learn through adjustments like that, but you want it right about at the vertical, their nose, straight yeah. up and down, like yeah, perpendicular like, with the ground. If if the horse was standing there with his neck level and his nose is vertical, perpendicular to the ground, you'd want to start the reins off initially just tight enough to be making some contact with his right. mouth in that position. So, you, you know, basically you're, you've motivated him to, you've, you've applied a little bit of pressure, so he's motivated to... Look for an answer, but you're not pulling him so tight to begin with that he has nowhere to go to get off of that and learn where he's supposed to go. Exactly. And again, like we said, initially, you're going to just use a little, you know, whether it's the stick, flag, whatever you've got, you're just going to create a little bit of energy, encourage some forward movement because that's going to be a different feel for him. But again, you don't have him in such a bind that he's unable to walk forward and also accept that pressure. You know, he might raise his head up a little bit, but with the bungees on, he's not going to hit a cement wall and be shocked. And 
as you create a little bit of movement, his confidence builds, you can start jogging him around. And again, there's nothing wrong with if you find that you've set it too loose or too tight on one side or the other to where it's tipping his nose off center. Just, you know, get out in front of him, stop him, whatever. Just, again, real relaxed, real chill. This is not a speed race, and no. it's not meant to be an intense experience. Right. And this this exercise, again, is is meant for three days in a row and done before your rides. You don't do this at the end of your rides. And the horse is tight. You do this before. It's almost like a warm-up exercise for your rides. And you want to spend about 20 minutes doing this. 20 minutes. And remember, you have to go both ways. So you've got 20 minutes total. So that means 10 minutes left circle in the round pin. 10 minutes right circle in the round pin. Mm -hmm. So you, you, it's not 20 minutes both ways. It's 10 minutes each way. So you need to get in there, get the job done, and get moving and have them jogging both ways. Day one is just the jog. Day two, jog a little bit of lope. Then day three, you'll do about five minutes of jogging. You know, you kind of do it in, in segments. Like I might do three minutes of jogging, then three minutes of loping, then two minutes of jogging. In two minutes of loping. So I got five and five, jog and lope, and then, and, and then I'll change sides. Or if I want to keep changing sides and keep it kind of fresh, I might do three minutes of jogging left circles, then two minutes of loping right circle. Mm -hmm. And then I might come back and do two minutes jogging my left circles, and then yeah. two minutes loping my right circles. And then, you know, kind of go back and forth. So I'm, I'm always changing directions, but yeah. I have to go both ways. And by day three, you're doing kind of, just as much loping as trotting. It's like 50-50. And as far as turning the horse when you change directions, okay, let's, uh, this is important, so listen up. You don't have to worry about which way the horse turns. Yes. This, we're not in here to try and teach like a, a round pin control exercise. You need to focus on the task at hand and not overcomplicate things. So, yes, I'm going to try and get the horse to turn the inside. If I can, I might even walk down the fence to help him because, remember, You've got to check back like straight vertical. So it's not like he's going to be looking into you and drawing in like a champion. <laughs> right. So if he turn, if you step out in front to ch and back up to redirect him and he turns into the fence or he just stops, just, it's not the end of the world. If he mm -hmm. just stops, walk down the fence, get your stick out there in between the fence and his eye and just gently, you know, guide him over there with some steady pressure tapping the air. You know, yep. you just, it doesn't matter if he turns into the fence or not. You just need to get him going the other direction. Yeah, I think that's important to hammer home that you're not gonna you're not gonna jump out in front of him and point off aggressively the other way and go yaha and and hustle him the other way and try to get him to roll back to the inside. He's not going to do it. But if they're kind of stuck on the fence and they they can't really figure out how to turn, uh, then yeah, just kind of ease up to where you can kind of get the stick between their head and the fence. Maybe tap a little bit on the side of their neck or on the side of their cheek and just. Just encourage them a little bit to get over, not overly aggressive, but just get their front end pushed over and get them moving off the other way. Again, real casual, not intimidating, not hustling, especially in these early sessions where, we're, again, we're, the point is to build the horse's confidence with this. Yep. And now then moving into the next type, which is moving into more of the advanced realm when we've got the horse that's steadily progressing and getting better and better. Now, it's also important to, to note that... Checking them back straight back in the round pin with the bungee cords. You do that at the beginning of their ride. But now that does not give you a free pass and to say, well, I can check them around after the ride too. No, no, it's you, you do one or the other, but you, you also can't say, well, I'm going to do three days checking them straight back and then three days checking them around. No, 
Remember what I said about pulling out the debit card and making a purchase. Every time you do one of these things, you lose just a little bit of value. And so the more, the more frequently you use it, the more, the quicker you run out of value. Yep. But so the next method then is using solid reins and just out in the arena after a ride to enhance your vertical softness as you're progressing that at all three gates. Like this point now, you should have a pretty decent handle of him. You know, whether you're loping circles or whatever you're doing, any loping drills where you can take a hold of his face and you have a pretty good handle of this horse now steering him around, taking hold of his face. Now you can, and you've already done your, the round pinning with the bunching reins. Now we can use our, our, um, solid reins and check him vertically after a ride. But the key here is not straight vertical. We're going to take him off to the side. Why? Something we've harped on again and again. The leverage deal. Mm-hmm. We're, ta- we're, we're taking that leverage. Remember, digging that hole deeper to bury that that lockbox that says he's stronger than us. We're we're taking that away by tipping his nose to the side. Well, what at that point, theoretically, if we've been doing our homework, have we taught that horse like almost every ride? What how, what are we doing? We do lateral work, and what every time do we do lateral work? Does that tell the horse I'm stronger than you? I'm stronger. Than you. I pull you give. I pull you give. So when we check a horse straight vertical but also tip that nose to the side, what are we telling him? The exact same thing. I pull, you give. We have the leverage. Don't fight it. Su- submit to it. Soften. Think your way through it. Don't fight your way through it. Mm-hmm. So for this particular exercise, what we're going to do is you're going to take your, I always go with the inside rein first. That sets your bend. So let's say we're going to bend the horse and check them down vertically, but around to the left. So let's say I'm loading my, my left circles. He's really stiff. Right circles, pretty decent. Left circles, he'll soften vertically, but he's not, not all the way. And he's real stiff that, say that left rib cage. So what I'm going to do is take the left rein and run it through the, the buckle on the girth through that and up to the horn and, and dally it or half hitch it around the horn. So it's to the outside of that shoulder yep to the outside of the shoulder to the rear of the buckle through that buckle and straight up to the horn yep and that sets my angle i'm looking to go about to the point of his shoulder yeah no further and then because again the further i go then when i counterbalance that by bringing his head vertically the less room he has to get off of that so i'm trying to take it about to the point of his shoulder then from there i'm going to take the outside rein again now this would be the right rein in this case outside of the shoulder through the buckle of the girth and up to the horn and I'm just going to slowly take that rein up. Because remember, he's around to the side. And now I'm like capturing him with that right rein. And I'm taking him from the bend to more of a tipped with vertical. So, and then I'm going to take a hold of that and shorten it up to where I need it to be. And then dally it off, half hitch it to the horn as well. So both reins run through the girth and up to the horn. And I set it by tipping his nose first. And then I balance it by taking the vertical and, and mm-hmm. soften his nose in. So I'm looking to soften him right about to the point of the shoulder, and I'm taking him a little bit past vertical. If you look at him standing there, his nose will be a little bit past vertical, and that's kind of more the sake of them having their nose tipped as well. But I'm making sure that he has room to soften and get off of that. So once I set it, and again, I would rather, and I usually, as a rule of thumb, I always, even now, you know, when we know what we're doing, or you have a lot of experience, we always set it looser, then we might think so that we can then step back a couple steps and analyze the overall picture and mm-hmm. see, okay, and if you've done your job right, the moment you do this, what is his, the horse's first reaction? 
He's not going to react. No, yeah. yeah, he's going to soften. Oh, I know this game. Yeah. You know, and he's going to immediately give off of that. Well, you can immediately see, okay, can he get off of that? Or is, you know, have I got him so tight that he has nowhere to go? Yeah. And then you can make that judgment call or you can say, okay, well, I set that pretty good, but I was, I was a bit conservative. That's a little loose, so I can afford to take a little bit more bend and then a little bit more vertical. And remember, the more bend that you take, the more, the, it almost like, let's say I go to the point of his shoulder. Well, then let's say I can take up three inches of slack on the outside rein and it puts him just perfect. But let's say I went one inch over to the point of his shoulder. Well, that same three inches, he's now like almost kissing his shoulder Mm -hmm. because it's so tight. If I just went one extra inch, then when I try to shorten it up with the outside rein, I might only be able to go an inch and a half instead of three inches. Because the more that I bend him, the less outside rein that I can take because his shoulder's in the way and it's going to prevent him from softening. So you can't overbend the horse, but at the same time, you're better to have almost, and I caution this saying this, but it's important to note so you have the mental picture in your head. You're better off almost too bent than not enough. Because why, you know, we talk about getting straight again with solid reins. Why is that the case? Because if he feels trapped, he's got more leverage to and more incentive to fight that. Exactly. exactly. If, he's, if his head is more straight versus head more tipped. Exactly. But you want to go about to the point of the shoulder, no further. And then you, you shorten up on the outside rein. And you may have to go back and forth. And you, may, you might shorten up the outside rein and realize you didn't have him tipped enough to begin with. And so then you have to go and shorten up just a tad bit more on the inside rein. And remember, a half inch shortening them up makes a big difference. So you can't just go and say, oh, it ain't enough, so I'm going to take up three inches. Well, that may be way too much. You do it, same thing really, t- uh, softening them or checking them vertically in the round pin with the bungee cords. You just take it a half an inch or like a centimeter. That makes a big difference. So yeah. you've got to be careful that you're, you're, you just tinker with your adjustments to get it right. Don't yeah. take massive swings at it to try and fix it. Yeah, don't swing for the fences because even a half inch is going to have an effect. And you you have to get smart about being able to gauge that. And if you don't have a lot of experience, it's better to err on the side of caution than zipping him up super tight by taking three feet at once and causing him to panic. We're back to now using solid reins. This is a more advanced stage. When you go to tip him like that and you go to smoothly and proficiently take a hold of his face and tip him and set the reins like that. If you can't even do that without him powering his head up and back like a Pez dispenser, clearly he's not prepared for (laughs) this stage. Okay. If he's having an immediate negative reaction, clearly you you're not ready for this. Now, another thing that I'll say too, especially with, and it happens checking them back straight vertical in the round pin with the bungee cords, but especially Checking them now down and around is what we'd say is what this is now, where mm-hmm. we're softening them to the point of the shoulder, tipping the nose to the point of the shoulder, and then softening them vertically as well, is that sometimes when you go to soften them vertically, they'll be confused, especially in the beginning. They'll be a bit confused, and they may try to, like, back up Right. when you do that. They won't throw their head up or anything, but they'll think back up. And they might even do that when you check them back straight vertical with the bungee reins. Just stay there and just follow them. As long as they don't panic and race backwards, just just walk beside them. You don't have to drop everything and loosen it up and scream, whoa. Just stay there. Just drift with them. They'll stop, and then yep. you can keep going about your business. Don't make a big deal of that. If they move, it's just them in a new environment, and they're just troubleshooting, and they're like, okay, what do I know what to do? Well, I feel this. Maybe it's a backup, and they're going to try a backup. But you don't have to panic or freak out or scream and yell, whoa, or or 
you know, whip out your well, cowboy I'm, knife and cut the rain off. I'm glad no. you mentioned that, though, because I've seen that happen where people try this and the horse starts kind of drifting around as they will do sometimes. Right. And instead of just staying relaxed and drifting with the horse, treating it almost like desensitizing in that respect, a lot of people will yell and scream, whoa, or get nervous, or they reach up and grab the bit to stop him from drifting, you know, or reach up and surprise him like that and just... Just chill out. Just let him kind of be in there and figure this out. That's uh, that's what our goal is anyway. So, again, you'll do this about three days in a row is a good rule of thumb. Now, remember, if the horse is, let's say, really struggling, you might do it a fourth day. But I wouldn't do it any less than three. Like, that's a good rule of thumb to get across and create a habit. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to do this seven days a week, 365. <laughs> exactly. You can't get addicted to it. You have to use it for its design. And you're going to do 20, 25 minutes of this as well. Now... I should have stressed this with the previous ones as well, but same rules apply. When I soften the horse up, especially like this way is probably the biggest, but either checked around to the back of the saddle or this way, check down and around. When I undo it, okay, the first thing I'll do is the outside rain. And when I undo this down and around, I undo the outside rain. But before I undo that outside rain, what I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure that he softens in vertically off of that, softens that chin in vertically off that outside rein before I turn it loose. I'm going to untie it at the horn. I'm going to be holding it with, say, if it's, let's say he's bent to the left, so I'm undoing that right rein first, so I'm going to be holding the rein with my right hand in between, at some point in between the girth and the horse's mouth, but, you know, close to his shoulder. I'm going to be holding it there, maintaining whatever length was there while I undo it with my left hand, pull it through with my left hand. Then I can soften him up, turn him loose. Then I'm going to go around to the other side, do the same thing, making sure that I finish it with a lateral flex to make sure he gets off of it as the last thing that happens before I turn loose. Yep. You have to soften the horse up before you turn him loose. Same thing applies with the bungee cords. Each individual one that when I take them off, I'm going to make sure they soften before I drop that bungee rein. Yep, absolutely. When you're unchecking one, you'll use one hand to maintain whatever tension was already there as you untie it. And then you make sure that they soften off of that rein yep. before you turn them completely yes. loose. But when we're talking, especially the nose tipped, you undo, you untie the outside rein first, the one yep. that controls your vertical. Yep. So now going into the last stage of the checking a horse back. Which a lot of people do as the first thing ever. Yes, this is exactly. <laughs> and that is checking the horse down with their nose tipped, but round pinning them. Just talked yep. about checking them down and around in with the solid reins, that is just turning them loose in the arena, letting them wander around. But now we're going to go back to the bungee cord reins yep. to check them down into the side and actually round pin them with it or move them around. And so what we're going to do there is the inside rein again controls the tip. So we're going to wrap it around the back of the seat and then half hitch it to the horn that controls the tip of the horse's nose. So again, you probably don't want to take your scissors to your eight foot bungee reins because you might need it to, wrap around the back of your saddle and up to your horn. So maybe it's a tad long and you have to do like five, six half hitches to soften them, say vertically. Well, you're going to want it that long later on. So you may not take out the Fiskars and go to town. Um, But so you wrap it around the back of the saddle, half hitch it to the horn and take them about to the point of their shoulder. Again, it's going to be a judgment call and you have to tinker with it once you get it set, but you got to start somewhere. So I usually go to the point of the shoulder and then you're going to go and you're going to, you're going to do the outside right now. This is something that I should have mentioned as well with all of the the different checking around. Don't do this by the fence. If you're going to check the horse back or down and around or check them around, whatever, 
get in the, if you're in the round pin, do it in the middle of the round pin. If you're in the arena, do it in the middle of the arena. You don't need to be tipping, especially this type of checking the horse around. You don't need to tip their nose, say to the left and then walk around to the right side and you're in between the horse and the fence. Well, what if they walk forward and they swing their, their butt into you and they, you know, they step on your foot and smash you into the fence. Like you have to have some wherewithal here. So do it in the middle of whatever confinement you're working in. But then with the outside rein, you're going to run that in between the horse's front legs and up to the back D, like you did checking them straight back in the bungee reins. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to round pin the horse the same as before. It's not like point and whip their ass and get them hustling. Round pin just means you're just moving around free in the round pin, you know, check back with the reins. So now what they're doing is they've, they've got that rocking the bit sensation coupled with check to the side like we did in the arena with the solid reins, but they were just wandering around meandering on their own. Now we're actually going to have them walk, trot and lope both ways. Now this is a little bit more complicated because you have to go both ways, tip their nose one way, and then both ways with their nose tipped the other way. So if I have it tipped to the left, I'm going to start out with the horse um, doing say left circles. So like he would be shaped on a left circle. So his nose is tipped to the left. So that's usually the easiest for them to do. Mm -hmm. Now, don't be surprised if the horse tries to go forward and around in like small circles. They'll, they may do that in the beginning and that's just part of it. You just have to kind of let them find it and get out on the circle, get them jogging first. And first day, if they, if they really struggle, you may only stay at the jog, but then after that, get them loping as a general rule though, first day you can get them loping with very little problem. But again, we're looking to about the point of the shoulder and the horse has to have room to soften in vertically. So that's more of a judgment call. They're going to be a little bit behind the vertical now because you have that tip, but they can't be kissing the point of their shoulder where they have nowhere to go with their chin. They have to be able to soften that in and down. So you have to make sure it's not too tight, but at the same time, because it is the bungee cord reins and they have a little bit more freedom to drift out there with their nose, you got to make sure that it's not straight or you're just wasting your time. It has to be tipped to the inside to some obvious degree. You know, right. But about the point of the shoulder is a pretty good fair distance right. you know, and maybe a tad, maybe an inch or more either way. But I would rather it a little bit more bent than not. Right. But you start off sending them off if they're bent to the left on a left circle, you get them moving, jog them around. And then when you're ready and you've jogged them around and say they're pretty good and you go then to the lope and you lope them around and they're, and they're doing pretty decent, well, then you want to change directions. Now, when you change directions, their natural tendency is going to be follow their nose and turn into the fence. So as you do this, you have to kind of hustle with them a little bit in the beginning stages. Like you almost have to, when we talk about staying behind the drive line where the girth would be, well, once you turn them, say they're tipped their nose to the left, but you make them do a right circle in the round pin, you have to almost run behind their tail. Like if the tail was the drive line, you have to be back there almost. Mm -hmm. Like almost kind of jogging with them in a way to keep them moving and dissuade them from turning into the fence. Cause as soon as they go to turn into the fence, they immediately see you back there. Now you're not so close that you could get kicked, but you're almost thinking that, okay, I need to get behind the tail as the drive yep. line now. So you can really push them forward and get them to not turn into the fence. And yep. chances are as a general rule, they all try to turn in the fence a little bit in the beginning. So you just have to stay back there, hustle a little bit, so, you know, stay with them, but get back there behind that tail. So you can push them forward and around. And then pretty soon they figure it out. And then you can go back to just kind of walk in a little circle in the middle. No problem. But you have to trot and lope tip to the left on a left circle, trot and lope tip to the left on a right circle, and then switch and do the other side as well. And again, you want to do this in 20, 25 minutes. So, you know, you have to have, you can't be up there and galloping them around endless circles. You have to set a timer 
and watch it and say, okay, well, I've got I've to do tip to the left, left circle for this many minutes, tip to the left, right circle this many minutes, and then switch. And, and so, you know, five minutes each way, maybe a little bit more, a minute or more, you know, for each side, give or take, and you should be just fine. But this really enhances, will go a long way in enhancing your vertical, especially at the canter, because rather than just perfectly straight, now you've introduced some inside shape to that canter as well. And so this is going to improve not only your circling, but your counterbending, your counter cantering, all of that. You're going to find that it, it works out a lot of resistance in some of those horses, but you've done your homework. So this isn't a huge culture shock and you've set him up to be able to have this as an enhancement. You don't use this to fix your circling. No. You use this to improve your circling that you've already been working on these same, these same elements, but now you're kind of on the ground. You're recreating that shape that you want. And you're driving around, and this is done before the ride. Again, when we go into the round pen, this is a before the ride type of an exercise. And again, once you do this, you can't then say at the end of your ride, well, we're going to go check them back again and, do, and double down. Like, it yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah. But it's a before the ride type of exercise that will now, because you should have done your homework, will improve the foundation and your circling and your shape that you've already established. Yeah. But we're, we're not going to do this particular method of checking them back with the bungee reins first because tipping their nose like that like i said their tendency to run circles or turn in the fence bending their nose like that the more you tip their nose the more it shuts their feet down so if we would have done this in the beginning when they had no idea how to drive around and we're, we've just barely got a little bit of vertical decanter on them well now we're going to add tipping their nose like it's going to turn into a massive fight where we have to really whip on them to try and get them to go anywhere the more we bend their nose the more it's going to shut them down and kill that forward motion. So we have to wait until we have a pretty decent handle on them to introduce this particular exercise. They've had a lot of other various ways of being checked down, checked down and around, checked back, so they can, they're can they prepared to handle it with the minimal resistance available. Yep, yep. And again, this isn't this isn't the way you teach a horse. Oh, and three days be... as well. Three, yes. three-day rule still yep, applies. That's important. But you have to, again, use this sparsely when... You need it. Yeah. And it's not how you teach them to frame up and get soft no. and drive up into their face real nice, but it is an enhancement of what you're already doing in your wider program. And when you do this before your ride, uh, again, and, and have enough repetition to be effective, you can find that it, it helps a lot. It helps tremendously, but it's not the way you get that entire concept taught. Right. So I think we've covered a lot of good ground. And again, this is a little bit of a hard picture to paint over audio. But I think we've given you guys enough information and details to really put our philosophy out there and kind of demystify the subject a little bit right. and put out what we, th what we think is the positive way to teach these kinds of, of exercises uh, and have it be productive and safe. And so just a, a few reminders, again, this bears repeating, which is that before you go do the bungee cords, before you do anything vertical especially – you need to have those concepts well established under saddle at all three gates. This doesn't re this doesn't replace anything you do under saddle. Exactly. It only will enhance it if you've done your homework under saddle. Notice we said with all this checking back or checking around or checking down, none of it exceeded 30 minutes. 20 25 minutes is what you gets the job done. And just like the like this last method of um checking the horse back in the round pin, again, you do the undo the outside rein first, making sure they soften. And then you undo the inside rein, making sure they soften. They have to soften after every time or you've wasted your time. Yep. And you have to make sure, always start a bit loose, and then you can always tighten from there. And always, whenever you set it, step back and assess it before you send the horse off. Yep. And make sure that the horse has room to get off of it so he has somewhere to go. And overall, just being smooth and proficient when you check and uncheck your horses, 
Again, this is supposed to be a confidence-building experience. You're not supposed to be zipping them up real tight and shocking them. This is common sense we shouldn't even have to mention, but we've seen people do it. You need to stay away from the arena fences. You need yes. to be out in the middle of the round pin or the arena. Be safe. Don't let yourself get pinned up in a corner where the horse could whirl around and crush you against the fence with their hindquarters. And that's another thing, too. If you have the horse, especially, let's say you've checked them down and around with the solid reins, like the, the third way we described, and they're in the arena just wandering around. Because, again, you let them wander around. If they you know, if they go and, and they're, they're winny or they lay down or something like that, like, you can't go out there and just micromanage and control their, their actions. Like, let them be. Yeah. You know, let them just have some alone time and, and work this problem through on their own a little bit. Like, you can't be out there monitoring their every, you know, and, and if they whinny, you're yelling at them to be quiet. Like, just yeah. let them be. Let them figure this out. But if they're over in a corner and you have to – and say you've checked them to the left – and you, so you have to get the outside rein first. So you have to go in, you know, in between the horse and the fence to get that right rein. Go get, you know, a flag or a training stick or whatever. And, or, you know, just make some noise, cluck, whatever, and get the horse away from the fence, drive him off the fence. So then you can get in there and safely undo it. Yeah. Always that outside rein first, but get them off the fence, whether you're doing, whether you're tightening them up, you're putting them on, the reins on, or you're unchecking a horse after 20, 25 minutes. Get off, the, get the horse away from the fence before doing it, and make sure that if you are approaching the horse, that you don't approach him on the on the opposite side that he's bent. Make sure he knows that you're coming. <laughs> Let him see you as you yeah, walk. Make up. some no- yeah. if, if he is, let's say he's he's over trapped in the corner and he's just and he's bent to the left and he's facing the fence with the, with his face. You know, his left side of his body is up against the fence, and so he's kind of he's just you know trapped in the corner and just looking into the corner and he can't see you come up. Make some noise, slap your jeans, cluck, whistle, whatever. Just kiss to him something yeah. to alert him to your presence. So he's not just camped out there like half asleep. And then all of a sudden, bah, you touch him and, and scare the crap out of him. Yeah. Just be a horseman about it. Use some common sense. Be aware and be safe when you're in close to the horse, setting the reins, doing all this other stuff. If they move around a little bit, don't panic. Stay with them. But be aware. You know, don't let them whirl around and step on your foot because you weren't paying attention or watching where they were going and where they were moving. Have some self-awareness and just some horsemanship sense and some smarts when you are handling a horse in this exactly. situation. Just and be th- a horseman. Yes. And I think, you know, if depending on the, you know, the response, if we get a lot of people that are intrigued by this and this is kind of a new concept and they want, and they want to kind of like, oh, this is, you know, this sounds promising. I, I never considered this. You know, what, what does this entail? You know, we could possibly do a, a video on this of, of some sort and demonstrate this um, because I think that, you know, we can you know, start to kind of reverse this unwarrant. Well, I mean, it's, it's justly warranted in a lot of ways to, on some of the, the methods used of doing this, the negativity, but we can, we can yeah. kind of reverse. We can at least start as an industry reversing some of the, some of the bad raps that checking the horse back or around have because it's been done, you know, improperly or kind of lazily for years. And we can kind of restore it and restore it to the use that it has and show that, no, there, there are some positive here. And if done right, it actually, is easier on the horse in a way. Cause like we alluded to, if you've done your homework, right. And you've prepared the horse for this, you get off his back and just give him some alone time to just soak on the session that he had and focus on one thing, which is, okay, I'm pulling on myself. What do I need to do to get rid of this, this pressure. And you just slow things down and you can just let him have that one-on-one time to figure stuff like that out without you on his back, complicating things like that's powerful. There. Mm-hmm. Like there's something to be said for that. And so in, in some cases it's actually beneficial for the horse yeah. You know, regardless to your t- general training of trying to force him through it and kick and jerk on the reins or whatever. 
So we as an industry, I think, have a responsibility to to try and, and kind of adjust or, or reframe the negative cloud well, around this and let's do better as horsemen. Yeah, just get the message out there that instead of him worrying about me being up there and the reprimand, take me out of the picture and let him find his release. It's a much more and positive give, set experience. him up to set him up so that he has a chance to find it. Too. Yeah. Let's not and be a horseman about it. Yes. Like you know, rather than the examples we alluded to earlier of zipping the horse up tight with no preparation, be smart about it, as we've described, and you find a, a rain setting that you're putting him in enough of a bind that there's motivation for him to look for the answer. It's putting enough pressure on him to actually be effective and, and accomplish something, but not so little pressure that he's just out there accomplishing nothing, not looking for a release, but not such a bind that he's got no possibility of release. There's a sweet spot in the middle, and it takes a little bit of practice and experimentation on your part to really dial in on what every horse needs when. With this subject, it's better to err on the side of caution than to go overboard with it, as some people do, unfortunately. Overall, I like your idea, Luke, of possibly putting some of this on video. There's a few videos on this on YouTube, but a lot of people steer away from this subject for obvious reasons. There's some footage that's somewhat relatable out there. If there's enough interest, we might do a video to help people just visualize this, you know, but we wanted to just test the waters on the podcast because it's a controversial topic. It's a risky one to discuss, but this has been our goal from the beginning. We set out to bring insider, hard-hitting info that lets people who want to improve their horsemanship fundamentals or if they have performance horse aspirations, those people need a fair shake at looking under the hood of what really gets done behind the scenes to make great horses. And this is an example of something that if done smart and done correct, it can actually be a really great asset. It can be a really great addition to a well-rounded training program. We hope you guys really enjoyed and, and got value from this extra lengthy special episode. Give us your thoughts. Uh, message us on Facebook if you have any questions. Thank you guys very much for your support and for tuning in. Thank you guys for all your support on the Project Tours podcast and the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. If you haven't already, please subscribe and message us with suggestions or topics you'd like us to cover on the show. It makes a big difference in the quality of content we're able to create for you. Thank you for listening and being a part of this growing community.